morning. So last week we started a new series titled, I'm Alright. Say that with me, I'm alright. Tell somebody else, I'm alright. Now, based on what? Based on what would you say you're alright? I challenged everyone with that question. Because for many of us, when we say I'm alright, we're basing it on our circumstances. We're basing it on the people around us. We're basing it upon where we feel we are in life or even our feelings. And the truth is that how many of you know that those feelings and that place of being all right based on that is fickle because those circumstances change. So what happens when someone leaves your life? What happens when your income has taken a drop? What happens when things don't seem to be going right? Are you still all right? And that's the basis, the premise from which we're coming from in this series because the book of Romans really teaches us about this righteousness that we have with God. It teaches us about who we really are. It teaches us about many topics. And so as we learned last week, this letter, uh, which is called the book of Romans, was written to a people in Rome, a church in Rome, that was made up of Jewish believers and non-Jewish believers. Uh, the non-Jewish believers were referred to as Gentiles. And how many of you know that when you start bringing people with different experiences, different backgrounds, different doctrines, different denominations, different uh, uh, understandings of God, that we get a bunch of different views? How many, how many of you know that to be true? And when we get differing views, we also get some different problems, right? And one of the main issues among this church and even persistent till this day in the body of Christ is that many people believe that they've nailed that as it pertains to what it means to be righteous. Now let me ask you a question for personal reflection. When you hear that word righteous, what comes to mind for you? I can guarantee you that for some of us, we're thinking about uh, someone dressed a particular way. You're thinking about acting or behaving a certain type of way, about thinking a certain type of way. But here's where we fall short if we think about righteousness that way. Righteousness has nothing to do with actions. Listen closely. Righteousness, the righteousness of God that has been made available to all mankind through Jesus Christ has everything to do and only to do with what Jesus has done. With what Jesus has done. And I know that's a challenging statement, but if you're still struggling with that or you still have the opinion, no, I'm right with God based upon what I do, then let me ask you a question. When you drop the ball, are you still right with God? Did your relationship with God automatically change? Did God change his opinion of you? Because if that's the case, guess what? God's schizophrenic because we drop the ball all the time. So which one is it? He loved us and gave his son for us or he didn't? So we got to really get an understanding of this issue of righteousness. And so one of the key things that was happening among the people in the church at Rome that happens still today is that too many people believe that they're right independent of what the scriptures declare about righteousness. And what we begin to see in Romans 2 in our study today is that Paul begins to address that by addressing this issue of repentance. He begins to talk about turning around, right? And so today I want to invite you to join me for us to lean into God's word and to get up close and personal, to really consider what God is saying to us through his word as we talk on the topic, turn 
around. Say that with me. Turn around. around. Tell somebody else, turn turn around. Now, you know what's the problem with that? You know what's the problem with that? I just told you to tell somebody to turn around. Nobody in this room, and I can guarantee you online, nobody turned around. Now, from a, from a greater vantage point, here's why I bring that up. Because the scripture clearly tells us that turning around does not just happen at the point of accepting Jesus. It's part of this walk and this journey of faith. And many times we forget to turn around. And I want to challenge you with this. Really be honest with yourself and with God based upon the scriptures we're going to study today. And consider what you think righteousness is. And if you have a wrong understanding, then do what Paul was encouraging the Roman church to do. Turn around. Let's get this right. Amen? And so the church of Rome, as I said, was made up of a a, a various uh, uh, people from various backgrounds. This body of believers, they all love Jesus. But the problem that Paul begins to address in Romans 2 is that everyone believed they thought it had, they had it right according to their understanding. And you know, there's a problem when you think you're right and everyone else, you, you don't believe they, 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 they have it right. You know what the problem is? When you think you're right, when you're in a room of people that everybody thinks they're right, everybody else is also wrong. Everybody else is also wrong. No, no way. And when it comes to this issue of righteousness, it really gets down to the nitty-gritty and it challenges us. Will you believe according to what the scriptures say? Or will you believe according to what you think you add to Jesus? See, the truth is that nothing that you and I can do makes us any more right in the sight of God. And if we could do that, then guess what? We don't need Jesus. And how many of you know that's not true? Right? And so the entire book of Romans carries this underlying message of righteousness, of what it actually means that we are righteous in God's sight, what it actually means that we are actually holy because of what Jesus did, that we are justified. We're going to talk about that in in another uh, message during this series. Um, And it's for this reason that we have to look to Romans 2. And so turn with me to Romans chapter 2. We're going to look at verses, starting at verse 1. It says, you, therefore, have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else. For at whatever point you judge another, you're condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same things. Now, we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. He goes on to say, so when you, a mere human... A mere human being pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think you'll escape God's judgment? He says, or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? That simply means to turn around. But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. Listen to what he's saying. He's saying, you who think you have it right based upon what you do, you're actually storing up wrath because what you're doing is rejecting the righteousness of God. You're saying, my righteousness is better than what Jesus could do for me. 
That's, that's a problem. So he goes on to say in verse 6, God will repay each person according to what they have done. Again, you got to look at this in context. The book of Romans is referring to what Jesus has done. And the only thing that we can do is put faith in the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus towards us. Okay? And so he goes on to say, um, God will repay each person according to what they have done. Verse 7, to those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. Though there will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. For God does not show favoritism. Right? And so at the onset of chapter 2, here's what we see. Paul is addressing a dilemma. It's a serious dilemma. It's a dilemma that encompasses people who were passing judgment on one another for the very things that they themselves were doing. And the question is this. How is it that we can get to this point? How is it possible to get to the point where you assume the role of judge, jury, and executioner while being blind or neglecting outright the very same thing that you're passing sentence upon someone else for? And what I want to point out to you is that it starts with an unwilling heart. It's an issue of the heart. It's an issue of the heart. See, repentance, turning around, does not start, does not stop at the point of accepting Jesus Christ. Here's what we think repentance is. Jesus, I'm a sinner, and Jesus, I need you. And Jesus, forgive me, and Jesus, save me. And so we, we do that. We believe that, right? We declare that. We accept Jesus as Lord and Savior. But we think that that's where repentance stops, and the truth is this, that repentance is not what we think it is. Repentance is a matter of turning around. Turning around. How many of you know that I drop the ball all the time, right? Yes, yeah, some of you are looking at me like, really, you do? <laughs> Listen, I'm no better than you. But I'm everything that Christ says, just like he says about you. My point with that is simply this. Listen. We all drop the ball, and therefore, and this, on this journey of faith, we all have to consistently make the decision to turn around, right? And so, listen to what God says identifies a believer who has received a true understanding of God's abundant grace. Consider the scriptures. Romans chapter 2, verse 4, he says, Do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, his forbearance, and patience? Not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. These people had a misunderstanding as to what God's grace was towards them. The purpose of it. They believed that God's kindness towards them gave them the right to judge their fellow brethren. They believed that they could do what they wanted to do. And... There was, no, there was nothing wrong with that. But what we begin to see here is this, that the grace of God, the kindness of God towards all of us, the forgiveness of God towards us is not for the purpose of giving us license to do whatever we want. Instead, it's to open a door 
that once didn't exist. It gives us the opportunity to turn around. Now, I want you to consider this. Before Jesus, what did your life look like? Now, I'll tell you. Actually, no, I won't tell you what my life looked like before Jesus. I don't have time. But I will tell you this. It was a mess. And yet, there, the scripture says that what God was extending to us was not wrath. It was not judgment. It's kindness. And the goodness of God is what leads us to turn around. See, for some of us, we think opposite. We think God forgives me based on me turning around. You, dro- you missed it. You missed it completely. Because your confidence isn't in Jesus. It's in what you and I can do. Right? And so it's for this reason that Jesus said concerning a woman who had a reputation of sinfulness. We were looking at this last week in Luke chapter 7. In verse 47, Jesus says this about us, which is true about us. He says, therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. You know, the opposite of that is also true. Whoever understands how much they've been forgiven, whoever understands the great love of God also loves much. And I want you to see something here, that God is inviting us not to improve upon our old selves. God's not calling you and I to change ourselves for him. What do you need the Holy Spirit for if you got to do the change? Now, there are choices that we have to make in line with the leading of the Spirit. There are choices that we have to make according to what we see in the Word. But the power to change is contingent upon a powerful God. That's God's job. The Scripture says this, that his, by His grace we are saved through faith. Watch this. Not of works. That's Ephesians chapter 2. Lest any of us can boast. You know what the scripture saying there? Lest any of us can do this. I did that for God. I, I want to share something that's going to challenge some beliefs here. Whether you're here or online. There is nothing that you can do to be more right in God's sight. There's nothing more you can do. You cannot add to what Jesus has done. You can't. And I, and I believe that this is ruffling some of our feathers because we believe that we're right with God based upon the right things we do. There's no good that we can do that makes us good in God's sight. The only good that makes us good in God's sight is what Jesus has done. Somebody say, I'm good enough. Somebody say, I'm all right. Listen. You have to, this comes by faith in what Jesus did for you and I. And if this is challenging you, then let me just be clear. Don't get mad at me. I'm going to tell you why I say that. Because you have to reconcile what the Word of God says. Not what I say. Your issue's not with me. Your issue's with your lack of faith in God. Wow. That was, that was tough. But it's true. But it's true. It wasn't tough for me. <laughs> but listen, this is where these people were going wrong. 
Their sense of right standing, their righteousness was based upon what they believed was according to their right doing. And the, the error that lied in that was that while they believed in Jesus and they loved Jesus, they put their faith in their actions. You know what that's called? Religion. That's religion. Those are the people that Jesus shared his harshest words with. His harshest words. And so I want us to look at an example of true repentance on this journey of faith. Luke 19 records that one day Jesus entered a place called Jericho. Let me translate that for you. Jericho was a church town. It was a bunch of church folk. I'll tell you why I say that. Because Jericho in the times of Jesus was by and large inhabited by priests and Levites and people that worked in the temple, people that offered sacrifices, people that dressed the part, people that went through all these rituals, observed all these feasts. And so Jesus, the scripture is clear in saying that he was passing through Jericho. His intention wasn't to stay there. And while he was passing through a mass amount of people begin to crowd him. A mass crowd develops. And we can rightly assume that many of these people were people that worked in the temple. People that based their righteousness on the law. And so Jesus is passing through and these people are following him. And while they're following him, in this crowd was a man who was small in stature but was big by way of a reputation that was very bad. Everybody knew who this guy was. His name was Zacchaeus. And here's the thing about Zacchaeus. The scripture records that this guy was a chief tax collector. Let me translate that for you because it doesn't mean he was the IRS. Here's what it means. He was a chief cheater. Tax collectors in those days or publicans as they were also known were people that were employed in service to Rome against their very people. So this was a Jewish man who worked for Rome in service to Rome to collect taxes. But here's what the empire of Rome knew. Hey, you collect it for us so we don't have these issues with them. But you can go ahead and take a little extra for yourself. Don't take ours. You just charge them extra. Right? So this guy was a chief cheater. And the thing about it is that everyone knew who this guy Zacchaeus was. You'll see that in a second. So the scripture records that Zacchaeus, because he couldn't see Jesus, but he wanted to, he decided, I'm going to go climb up a tree. He sees the path of the crowd as they're following Jesus, and he runs up further ahead, and he climbs a sycamore tree. And there he was on this tree looking for Jesus. Now, what's interesting is this, that the scripture says that when Jesus reached the spot, that spot where Zacchaeus was overhead, that Jesus, seeing Zacchaeus, he called him down and he told him, I must stay at your house today. You got to get the magnitude of what's happening here. When Zacchaeus said to him, when, when Jesus said to him, I must stay at your house today, the Greek renders it this way, I must remain in your home. I must abide. I must make my dwelling there. In other words, I'm not interested in just coming and going. He says, no, 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 no. I want to have a place 
in your home. And so get this. You got you to gotta think about what's happening in the background. You got all these church folk. And everyone, the scripture records, starts saying among themselves, he's going to be a guest. He wants to remain. He wants to abide. He wants to make his dwelling in the house of this sinner. Get this. And the scripture says that Zacchaeus, he came down immediately and he welcomed him gladly. We're going to study that more in a second. And so here's what we begin to see. There's a distinction. There's a distinction here because these people in essence are saying this. Wait a minute. He should be at my home. He should be coming to my house. Not this guy. This guy's a piece of garbage. This guy's the worst of the worst. Doesn't he know who he is? Isn't that our story too? But I want you to see the distinction here that we begin to see. The crowd and Zacchaeus. The crowd was made up of people who followed Jesus as he was passing through. That's what religion does. Oh, I'm following Jesus. And you may be following after him. But because of your erroneous belief, he's passing you by. On the other hand, we have a guy named Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus, he was completely different. Why? Because Zacchaeus was the only one willing to receive him gladly. Zacchaeus was pursuing Jesus. This was more than just seeing him. You're going to see this in a second. And so I have a question for you in your personal experience with Christ. Are you following Jesus while recognizing that you always feel distant from him? Could it be that while following Jesus, it's not that he's leaving you. It's just that he's passing by because you're not really following him. Or is your experience in your relationship with Christ one where, I'm not going to say desperate, but you have a longing desire to know Christ to see him, to, 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 to have personal relationship with him, to connect with him, to leave the crowd, to leave circumstances, to leave old ways of life, to leave beliefs that don't work, and to simply receive Jesus in your life day in and day out, to know him personally, to say, yes, abide with me. I'll abide with you. Is that your desire? And so despite this guy's many mistakes... As we'll see in a second, Zacchaeus had a change of heart. And this change of heart led him to turn around and to embrace a changed life. I'm going to throw out a question there for you that are here and for you that are online. Are you truly desiring change? Because if you are, it begins with a right understanding of what we're talking about today. Luke 19 verse 8 records that at, the he- at Zacchaeus hearing what the crowd was saying, that he stood up and he said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. 
Verse 9 records that Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Listen, Zacchaeus went from being a part of the crowd to being a part as a child of God. He was set apart. He, something changed in him because he was willing to turn around. Let me ask you a question. Is that the heart that you maintain in this walk of faith? As you consider the love of God, is it something that you are willing to turn around, to follow after Christ, to go where he's going? I want you to notice what the scripture says about Zacchaeus. Jesus says that he was a son of Abraham, which tells us something. Like Abraham, Zacchaeus was willing to leave where he was, to leave what he believed, to leave his experience, to leave his dependence upon his family and upon all these other things that impacted a wrong belief in order so that he could follow where Jesus was trying to take him. Can I give you some good news, my friend? Wherever you've been going apart from God, just know this, that it's time to turn around because God has something better for you. He loves you. Man, he loves you. Man, he really does love you. And I want us to look at this for a moment. I want us to consider just three simple points that I want to give you um, about repentance. There's so much more that I can say, but I just want to leave you with three. And the first thing that we learn about repentance is this, is that relationship with God cannot be enjoyed outwardly without repentance inwardly. I'm going to say that again. Repentance... With relationship with God cannot be enjoyed outwardly without repentance inwardly. Listen, as a child of God, you are in relationship with God. Here's the reality. Whether you do right or not. Listen closely. If the grace of God, according to Ephesians 2, is based upon faith, it's a gift to us and it's faith in Jesus, then let me ask you a question. What power do you have to change the heart of the gift giver? We can't. We can't. We can't change the fact that God approaches all mankind according to grace. We can't change the fact that what Jesus did was for the entire world. The scripture declares that the sacrifice that he made was once and for all. The book of Isaiah says this, about the sacrifice of Christ. He says, though your sins be as, as red as scarlet, he says, I will wash you and make you white as snow. Listen closely. The forgiveness of God is not just for your past. It's for your past, it's for your present, and it is for your future. That's grace. You know what grace is? Grace is a gift that abounds. It, as a matter of fact, when the scripture talks about his grace, it says in the, in the Greek, it superabounds. In other words, it's an overpayment. It doesn't just pay for your past. It also pays for your present, and it also pays for your future. That's a good God. That's the goodness of God. Have you ever thought about why Paul and the disciples were martyred? Have you ever thought about why Jesus was sacrificed on the cross? It wasn't because he said, hey, I just want you to join my club and just be a follower of me. No, Jesus declared to say that salvation only came through him. 
not through the religion that people put their confidence in. Paul was crucified, was, was martyred. I'm sorry, Peter's the one who was crucified upside down. The disciples were martyred for declaring a news, a message that was too good to be true in the eyes of religious people. You know, that that's what the, the word gospel means. It means news that is too good to believe. And you know where many believers get stuck in the body of Christ? We want to go through religious hula hoops and simply say, well, you know what? Yup, I'm serving God. I'm patting myself on my back because I go to church, because I read the Bible, because, you know, I'm not doing what you're doing. Can I tell you something, believer? Get your belief out the way if that's how you believe. Because if you can look at anyone based upon their actions, based upon their hangups, based upon the mistakes they're making, you are missing what God has done. You're missing what God can do in the life of any single person. Just think back to where you were before Christ, lest you start looking at other people. Isn't that great news? And so this church in Rome, they were plagued with a belief that relationship with God was based upon outward appearances. When in fact it's based upon a love so strong for God that it leads us to turn around and instead of running from him, running to him. Listen closely. The reason why many struggled with this in the church of Rome and even today is because we believe that repentance is merely an outward matter, when in fact, it's an inward one. Jesus put it this way. He says, woe to you Pharisees. He's talking to religious people. He says, woe to you. In other words, whoa, man, you're really jacked up. You just don't know it. He says, woe to you. Beware. I pity you, he was saying, because you're like whitewashed tombs. Man, you're beautiful on the outside. You've got the nice plaque. You've got a beautiful tomb. It's all nice and polished. You've even got beautiful roses and, and, and carnations and flowers. You're beautiful on the outside. He says, but inside you're full of dead bones. You stink. That's what he equated people who put confidence in religion and their actions. That's what he equated them to. Man, may, may that not be us. And so... Paul brings this to light in Romans chapter 2 and verses 28 and 29. He says, a person who is not a Jew, uh, who, I'm sorry, a person is not a Jew who is one only outwardly. He says, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. He says, no, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly. And here's what he's doing. He's addressing Jewish Christians in the early church who put their confidence in Jesus but also in what they did to be right with God. And so for Jews until this day, if you're identified as a Jewish person, as a child, a son of Abraham, one who has a right to all the promises of God, one who is called a child of God, declared as one of his people, according to Hebrew thought, you can't do that unless you're circumcised. So let me, let me bring that to light in a very practical way here. I want you to imagine that you come here and you believe in Jesus. You're man, I believe in Jesus, and I want to be a part of everything that God's doing here. We go, man, that's great. Hey, people are just making some announcements. Next week, please stop by guest, stop by guest services today. Next week, uh, come back because we're going to circumcise you so that you could be right with God. 
Isn't that crazy? It's crazy. I, I'll tell you this, I wouldn't be coming back to this church if that was the case, right? But the reality is this, that these people believe that based on their outward expression, their outward actions, that they were made right with God. And this is what Paul, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is addressing. He says in verse 29, no, a person who is a Jew, uh, is a Jew, is a Jew who is, no, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is circumcision of the heart. See, it's an inward change, and it's by the Spirit, not by your hands. Not by the written code, in other words, and in other words, adherence to religion. Such a person's praise is not from other people, but from God. And so, one of the ways that the Jews identified who they thought was a believer was by circumcision. And the problem with that was that they placed confidence in what was done outwardly by men, not inwardly by God. By God. By God. See, true repentance starts in the heart. True repentance starts in the heart. You know what we think repentance is? It's what I call a 360. Let me tell you what a 360 is. We hear the word or we read the word and we go, man, you know, yeah, I shouldn't be doing that. And I need to change that. And that's wrong and this is wrong and that's wrong and this is wrong. And so what we do is this. We go, I know what the word says, but we end up right back where we started. You know why? You ever feel, you ever struggle with doing what the word says and go, man, I wish I could just stop doing that. Can I tell you why? You can't because you're putting the emphasis on what you do, and there's no change in your belief. It's an inward change. See, everything that we do comes as a result of our beliefs. And if you do not allow this gospel, the truth in God's word, to change your belief, you will struggle with what you continue to do. You will fake it and never make it. Why? Because there's no inward change. It hasn't impacted your heart, right? And so if you're tired of doing 360s, here's what you should do. Do a 180. That's a 180. I'm going to turn around, and I'm turning away not, not, so, not simply to the actions, but the belief that drives the action. Right. It's the belief. It's the belief. It's the misbelief. It's the misappropriation of faith. And so it, it, it's recognizing the lie and also recognizing the truth and saying, well, God's word says that I am free indeed. God's word says that this body of mine is his temple. And so guess what? I'm not going to abuse this temple anymore. Not because it makes me any better before God that I give up these bad habits. No, it's because I know that this body belongs to God. And so, God, I love you. And so I'm going to just turn around from that. And I'm going to just keep walking the other way. And I'm going to just experience your goodness and know all that you have for me. See, this is where Zacchaeus took a right turn while everybody else was taking a wrong turn. Zacchaeus allowed the words of Jesus to remain in his heart. His belief changed. And so while the crowd let the words of Jesus and Jesus himself pass by, Zacchaeus 
that, that moment that he had with Jesus where he saw him and then he heard his words. And he saw, wait, wait, you, you want to come to my home? You want to remain with me? But, but Jesus, my past. No, no, but I want to remain with you. No, but Jesus, you don't understand my stinking thinking. I want to remain with you. But Jesus, you don't understand what I'm planning to do after I get out of here today. No, 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 no. I want to remain with you. Notice what Jesus said, that he didn't come to save the righteous. He came for the lost. Listen closely. If your righteousness, your sense of righteousness is based on what you do for God, Jesus ain't even seeking you. Not my words. Not my words. Because you believe you're already all right without him. He's seeking the one who doesn't know. And I pray that today there are light bulbs going off in our hearts and we're seeing how good God is. The second thing I want to leave you with here today is that true repentance is about transformation, not torture and torment. I'm going to say that again. True repentance is about transformation, not torture or torment. You know, some, some of us may be of the belief that repentance begins with emotions. Let me give you an example of what I mean. I have to feel bad. I, you know, I got to be so guilty. I, I, I got to do so much shame and sorrow and hurt. In order to get to the point of repentance, show me that in Scripture. Show me that in Scripture. Now, I know what some of you Bible, you know, Bible theologians believe. I, I, matter of fact, I heard somebody think this. Well, what about what the Scripture says where it says that the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin, of righteousness, and of the judgment that has been rendered unto the enemy? And you misunderstand what the scripture says. That word convict there does not mean condemn. It means he convinces us. And so what is the scripture saying? The scripture is literally saying this, that the Holy Spirit convicts the unbeliever of his sin, shows him his need for Christ. He convinces the believer that he's righteous. And guess what else he convinces us of? The devil is not even a factor in your life. He can only factor in your life to the extent that you allow him. Man, that's good news. And so in essence, we believe that we must condemn ourselves. Some of us, we believe that we have to torture ourselves and torment ourselves in order to feel bad enough to run to God asking him for forgiveness. And we call that repentance. But you know what? That's not repentance. Because repentance isn't, isn't even just about turning to God. It's from turning away from wrong belief. For some of us, we turn to God, but we remain in the wrong belief. That's not repentance at all. It's not. I want you to notice something. Zacchaeus did not have an emotional breakdown at his repentance. He did not cry. He did not wallow in feeling bad. He did not go public with everyone and said, man, let me just give you my laundry list of where I've gone wrong. Get this. Zacchaeus, the scripture records, that does not even record that he said, Jesus, I'm sorry. It doesn't record that. 
You know what it does record? Zacchaeus recognized who Jesus was. I'm going to show you that in a second. He recognized the reality of where he was in life. And he said, I'm turning around. That's repentance. It's repentance. It's not, it's not crying at an altar. It's not confessing your life to someone. That's not repentance. It's not repentance. It's not giving God a laundry list every day of what you've done wrong. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. If you feel that you have to go to God for every single thing that you've done and say, I'm sorry, guess what? We're all going to hell. You know why? Because we've forgotten some of those things. People are not going to hell for the bad things they do. People are going to hell for rejecting the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and his lordship. That's what we're going to hell for. I'm not going to hell. Neither are you. But I want you to realize that we got this whole deal of righteousness mixed up. I love what Mark 1.15 says because it, it highlights this, this point that I'm making. Jesus said this, the time has come, the kingdom of God has come near. Watch this. Watch, watch this. He says, repent and believe the good news. Notice what he didn't say. Repent and change yourself. Notice what he didn't say. Repent and clean yourself up. Notice what he didn't say. Repent and do better so that you can be better in my sight. He didn't say any of that. He says, no, repent and believe in my good news. What's that good news? That God so loved you and I, that God so loved the world, that he loved us so much that he gave his son as a sacrifice for the entire world. The scripture goes on to record this, that God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still yet sinners, Christ died for us. That is the goodness of God. What we are to believe is that God is so good that no matter how bad we've been or how much we may drop the ball, we can always get back up and turn around because God has given us the door of opportunity that has made us right. Somebody say with me, I'm all right. Man, I pray you know that you're all right. See, instead of putting himself through condemnation, Zacchaeus saw where he went wrong because what Jesus was offering was so much better. You're choosing me. Me. And I think we should follow Zacchaeus' example in Luke 19, verse 8. It says, Zacchaeus stood up and he said to the Lord. The scripture says that a righteous man falls seven times, but he gets back up. You know why the scripture says that? Because the person who understands that they are righteous in God's sight because of what he has done is one that can always get back up because they know that God is that good and merciful and that they are a child of God. Listen closely. Don't you dare buy the lie of religion. And I'm going to tell you this. In some churches, I get kicked out for saying what I'm saying here. But that's all right. I don't need to be there. I'm all right with God. Listen closely. Don't you dare believe anything different than this. If you are a new creation in Christ, then guess what? The scripture says old things have passed away. All things are become new. You are righteous, you are holy, and you are accepted by God. And you can't change that. You can't change it. You can't change it. Don't let no person with a title, bishop or pastor or this or that, 
tell you otherwise. Go back to the Word of God. Go back to the Word of God. Go back to it. I want to encourage you to continue to join us week in and week out. We're going to be going through the whole book of Romans. I want to encourage you to read it because you need to understand how great this good news is for you and me. The last thing I want to leave you with here as we stand and come to a close is that God does not lead you to repentance, but repentance will lead you to do good. Listen closely. The church in Rome and the crowd that amassed around Jesus when he called Zacchaeus that day were very similar. How so? They were all what you would call, and as we saw, church folk. And like most church folk, they worked really hard to be good for God by doing good. But it was wrong for all the wrong reasons. They believed that it made them right with God. They were doing good in place of repentance. Listen, when you focus on what you do for God, here's where it leads you. Oh, you know, I'm, I'm doing enough. I'm behaving. I'm doing more good than I am bad. So I'm good with God. Here's the thing about it. There's no faith in Jesus there. That's faith in what you do. Are you seeing that? And so, prior to meeting Jesus, Zacchaeus was an opportunist. He was a chief cheater. He was uncaring. And he was selfish. There was nothing good about him, even in his heart. But that all changed. And it would appear that Zacchaeus' change occurred at the point where he said, you know what? I'm going to be generous towards the poor and give half of what I own, and I'm going to pay back everyone that I've cheated up to four times the amount of what I took from them. It would appear that that was his point of repentance. But I want you to consider something. Luke 19, verses 5 and 6 says that when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. Watch verse 6. And so he came down at once, and he welcomed him gladly. That word gladly there in the Greek is the word Cairo. And that word Cairo is a powerful word because it depicts one who approaches another that they're saluting while hailing them. They're approaching them with exceeding joy. And I'll tell you why this is even more powerful. Because that word Cairo is the root word for another powerful word that's significant to our faith. It's the Greek word charis. And you know what that, that Greek word charis means? It speaks of one who, who lives according to grace or one who is governed by, divine, by the divine power of grace. In other words, Zacchaeus was inclined to do good not because it would make him good. It's because he understood how good God was being to him. Don't try to prove yourself to God. You don't have to. You can't. Not based upon your actions. Listen, the scripture says clearly that it is the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. The changes that you need to make, it's an outflow. It's, an, it's out of the outpouring of God's goodness. If you're struggling in your faith, you're struggling in this walk with Jesus, maybe you're just turning away because you feel like Jesus has failed you, my friend. Jesus hasn't failed you. Where you failed is in understanding the love of God. Think about this. Jesus says, 
I want to remain with you. With you. Anyone else in this world? No. You. Would you open your heart? Would you open your life? Would you take your misbelief, the beliefs according to denominations and to church doctrines and to what people have told you, and would you simply take what the Word of God says and accept that you are good in God's sight because of what Jesus has done? Somebody say it with me if you believe that. I'm all right. Come on, go ahead and thank God right here, right now. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us here at Church of the Bridge today. I pray that you had a personal encounter with God, that he spoke to you powerfully, and that he met you at your place of need with this message. I also want to encourage you to go ahead and subscribe to our YouTube page. By doing so, you'll be able to check out past messages, uh, past events that we've done. You'll also be able to see what's happening now and those things that are to come. And lastly, I'd like to invite you to join with us in all that God is doing with your giving. Feel free to do so on our website. Again, thank you again for joining us, and I can't wait to connect with you next week.